A rising tide really does raise all ships. It's really easy for people to get uh, hyper-competitive, and maybe there's a time and space for that. But when you're creating a new industry, I think it's uh, something I've found is instead of looking at people's competition, it's really say, like, how do we partner together to create something here? Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Luke Fox, founder of Next Life Sciences and a powerhouse entrepreneur with experience in numerous highly regulated industries ranging from cybersecurity to aerospace, including White Fox Defense Technologies. With a degree in engineering and a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2019, Luke is currently leading Next Life Sciences efforts to introduce a pioneering male contraceptive to the market. Here for you the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, in emerging markets, there's often room for multiple players to thrive. Fostering collaboration often yields greater results than intense competition. That's why taking a human-centric approach to resource management can often be more effective than merely relying on financial incentives alone. Second, the adoption of a product hinges on the complete understanding of your target market, which includes stakeholders beyond your immediate end users like care partners, payers, and even skeptics. Engaging with these groups will allow you to capture pertinent insights across the life cycle of your technology from development to commercialization. Third, fundraising is more about finding investors aligned with your mission than it is about securing money. Here, authenticity is key and rejection can be a stepping stone to better opportunities. Working on a technology with broader social impact can also further enhance investor appeal. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we just released the latest edition of MedSider Mentors Volume 3, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Jim Persley, CEO of Hinge Health, Carol Burns, CEO of Cajun Vascular, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups of the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Fox, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, definitely looking forward to the conversation, especially considering like all of that you you've done in a uh, I mean, you're a young guy, you know, so in a relatively kind of short career, you've you've done a lot. So uh, excited to have this conversation, and especially to learn a little bit more about what you're building at uh, at next in Plan A. But I recorded a brief bio at the outset of this interview, so um, let's start there. Like to hear your own kind of your own words. If you can get, give us kind of an elevator pitch for what you've been doing, kind of leading up to founding uh, next and in Plan A, that'd be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my background has been in really creating new categories across highly regulated industries. I love when uh, there's a, a big problem that exists that we can say, let's take a step back and see how do we 
address this thoughtfully. My last uh, companies were in cybersecurity and defense and aerospace, all of these uh, spaces that where, uh, where there's a need to have high certainty around what you're building and to think not just a couple years in the future, but think about generational impact. And that's really uh, very much the same within the healthcare and uh, medtech space is how do we create things that really have a diverse set of applications and and do so in ways that create new categories. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I almost like to. I was, I was looking at your, your your bio, kind of you know, leading up to this interview and kind of doing a little bit of research, and it's I get the sense that you're kind of like a Palmer Lucky a little bit, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I don't know if you'll eventually get into the life sciences, but you go from like like pretty cool kind of defense, you know, uh, company, and now kind of doing something uh, really cool with uh, with Next and Plan and Plan A. So I guess for everyone listening, you know, we'll link to Fox's uh, LinkedIn profile. Um, in the full summary on MedSider for this interview, you can definitely check check that out in more detail. But let's talk a little bit, at least at a high level, and we'll get into probably more details uh, for sure. But talk to us a little bit more about Next and, and Plan A um, and kind of really really kind of the, the, the origin story for how the technology kind of, or the, the idea for the technology came, came to be. Yeah, so the, the origin of it was I was actually uh, doing some work with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and was sitting at the White House and we were talking about how do we make, uh, you know, use innovation to make people's lives more prosperous. And so everything from flying cars and AI and drones and all these amazing technologies. And it really just like hit me like a brick in the face. I was like, wait a second, like there's all these amazing technologies that need to happen and that will happen. But we're missing this fundamental, uh, what I believe is a human right that we've in many ways ignored, which is that ability to choose when and if to have a child. And to me, that is something that when you look at the, uh, not just to me, I should say also with just the stats, right? It's that uh, it's known as the social dial. It's like the one thing that you can dial and like, by increasing people's ability to choose when and if to have a child, that family planning, you can help them from in everything from education to social economic to other health indicators. And so it just blast, uh, just really hit me again, like a brick to the face. Like we are still living in this modern day where half of all pregnancies are unplanned. Like, and that's not in some far off part of the world, but that's here in the United States. And so that's really was the, uh, the genesis of next, which is how do we really look at this in a whole new way that hasn't been addressed previously? How do we create a new category here where instead of just making these small incremental changes, how do we make a quantum leap in providing uh, people this ability to make the most important choice of their life? Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I realized that a fifty-ish percent of all yeah. pregnancies are unplanned. No kidding. I uh, did not. Uh, did not realize that. A coin um, flip. Odds. Yeah. 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 No. No doubt. Yeah. Um, not ideal. Not ideal for sure. Um, so you mentioned next, and I've yeah. mentioned Plan A uh, a couple times now. But it's, so, so help me understand: is is Plan A like is Plan A the the first of many companies under the next umbrella? Or talk to us a little bit more, maybe about kind of what you what you're planning for, and then like let's drill into Plan A specifically. Absolutely. So. When we look at this, uh, Next Life Sciences is focusing on creating uh, solutions allow people to be able to make that choice when and if to have a child. Our flagship product is known as Plan A. It's a Plan A contraceptive system. This is designed to be the world's first male birth control that's long-lasting and reversible. And that's important because when you look at what men and women and anybody seeks in birth control in a contraceptive is, again, that uh, is known as a lark. I'll put it that way. It's known as a lark. L-A-R-C, right? It's long acting. Like you set it and you forget it. 
and then it's reversible contraception l-a-r-c <laughs> right and so you set it you forget it you turn it on and then you turn it off when you're ready to have a child that is the holy grail of contraception and uh plan a is uh is really set up to be the first lark for men got it got it yeah i've always um uh, my wife and I, we've, we've got five kids, right? So we've never really, yeah. you know, str- struggled necessarily in this, in this area. But I totally get the idea of like unplanned, right? Because we've, uh, yeah. in fact, our, our fifth, there's a decade apart from our fourth and our fifth. So yeah, wow. he wasn't necessarily planned per se. But on that note, I've always thought like, you know, the whole like contraceptive kind of uh, aspect, at least for like semi-permanent contraceptive or permanent, uh, semi-permanent to permanent contraceptive, always the responsibility is like almost always put on the female, right? And then for guys, I guess there's always a vasectomy that's so permanent. And like, you always hear these horror stories about like, you know, guys wanting to have reverse vasectomy. So it seems like kind of one of those things that we almost take for granted. It's like, no one's ever, it's, it's weird. It's like, no one's ever like innovated. It seems, it seems like it. No one's really ever innovated in this, in, the, in this category. So and again, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this in, in a little bit more detail here, but, you know, talk to us a little bit more about kind of the magic sauce for plan A, so to speak, because it does seem like you're working on a bit of a Holy grail, as you mentioned, but what, what is this? Like, how does this actually work? Uh, Cause it seems pretty cool, right? If it, if it actually pans out the way or, you know, the way it looks. Yeah. So the technology is designed to be uh, a quick, simple, 10 minute pain-free procedure, right? Go to the doctor. Um, and in doing so, it's a simple injection of our proprietary hydrogel into the vas deferens. Now the vas deferens is a little tube that carries sperm. In a vasectomy, that's what gets snipped and cauterized. Uh, and we say, well, you know, why go through the process of snipping, cauterizing, you know, uh, and destroying the tissue when you can simply inject this hydrogel and this hydrogel goes in as a liquid and then very quickly forms as a forms a matrix and so the liquid goes out and you're left with this micro filter and this micro filter is, is designed to be exactly the right size to allow all fluid to pass through except the sperm now this is going through testing currently and we've had a lot of really positive results but the design is really to create this flexible filter very simple to uh, implant, and then very simple to reverse with a quick injection of sodium bicarbonate that is designed to it to turn it from that flexible filter, that solid, back into its liquid form, and it gets flushed out. So, the, and that's the second procedure, right? I, I would have answered. Yes. So like I, I get plan A, and then fast forward a couple of years, I'm like, okay, we're ready. To, we're ready to go. That's the second procedure. You inject. It's just some sort of like, is that proprietary too? Something that almost dissolves that matrix that you mentioned. Well, it's actually really important that it's not proprietary. So, because what we want to ensure is that anybody, no matter where they are in the world, uh, oh. no matter what you know happens, they are able to do it themselves. So, simple sodium bicarbonate baking soda. Okay. Now, we don't recommend that, right? So, you, get, you go to the doctor, you get uh, the quick, simple injection, but it really allows the democratization of contraception. Got it. Okay, that's cool. And I saw a press release. I can't remember exactly when this was from. I'm not sure if it was even a press release, but this is a technology that you acquired then. Is that correct? So this, you... yeah, this this technology is actually, uh, the core technology has been in development since 1970s. Wow. And it's uh, over in India by uh, Professor Guha. And it's uh, the university system there has been testing this for decades, including a 13-year-long study which is an incredibly long time, uh, a 13-year-long longitudinal study, uh, really showing how the system works. Then about 2010, it was brought to the United States by uh, a nonprofit called the Parsimus Foundation uh, and uh, became known as Vaselgel. This is the core hydrogel. What we've done uh, is, and what, or I should say what they've done is 
done significant preclinical testing in animal models over the last 10 years. And then we partnered with them to commercialize it, to bring it to market. And really, uh, after the very uh, a lot of uh, successful clinical uh, preclinical studies, now we're going into the clinicals. Got it. Got it. Cool. And, and just out, out of curiosity, this, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think like this, you're, you're at the White House, right? Which I don't know if I've had any guests on that have been to the White House, I guess, but uh, uh, maybe, maybe type type meeting, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail, but this big problem right, like hits you like a, like a brick, right? The face yeah. as, you, as you described it, how do you go about like finding this particular gel, right? I mean, did you, I mean, did you have to kind of like search far and wide? Like how did this, how did this even get on your radar? Yeah, so it's uh, a, a few a few different ways. So I'm actually I've long wanted it myself, and was uh, I was on the waiting list uh, personally, and so I've I've known about it since it was brought to the United States. I signed up even as a teenager. I was like, this just makes sense, uh-huh. like you know, and so. I've been long following the progress. Basil gels, uh, many have referred to as the Kleenex of male birth control, because it's just like it's the classic method. It's what it's been in development for so long. It's just what everyone's looked to. Um, I also worked with the Male Contraceptive Initiative (MCI), which is the world's largest nonprofit dedicated to male birth control methods, and. Uh, helped to uh, they helped me to identify you know what is the, by far the most promising method uh and it was again landed on basil gel and so uh we came in and and really said okay, what is needed to bring this to the world in an accessible way right now that the hydrogel is very well known in terms of how it operates what's needed uh so how do you deliver it to actually to a clinic what are the uh, the tools that a doctor uses uh that to do so to guarantee uh, and to, or to maximize, I should say, the success rate, um, so that there's uh, no uh, risk of complications or Got to it. minimize Got risk, it. I should say. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So this, is, I mean, it sounds like this has been this has been something that you're aware of for quite some time, and yeah. you've been able to figure out, okay, sort of connect the dots um, in essence, right? Uh, connect the puzzle, the puzzle pieces together to, to sort of form form a real entity around this around this technology. Well, that's cool. And then and then kind of w- w- give us a high level sense of where you guys are at now. Um, are you still are you still in, in, in clinical trials? Are you sort of prepping for eventual commercialization? Give us a sense kind of for where that's at. Yeah, we're, pl- we're planning to launch our clinical trials here uh, in the next six months. Uh, okay. So we're working with the FDA and going through that process to get approval to launch clinical trials uh, here in the United States. And then uh, that will allow us to go through the formal approval. Again, we have decades of data already in hand. And now it's just going through that uh, the process with the FDA. Got it. Got it. So we're recording this and kind of call it mid Q3 of 23. So if you're listening to this after the fact, you know, hopefully plan A will be in trials, maybe early 24 ish. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Okay. Yep, got 24. It. And we're hoping to be in market by late 25. Late so 25. right around okay. the corner. Got it. Got it. Is it a, is it a PMA pathway or is it a different regulatory? Like what's the regulatory pathway for? Uh... Yeah. We're working with the FDA on that, on that. but okay, we're, it. Really, the benefit of what uh, of this approach is while a lot of people are looking at a lot of different pharmaceutical and drug-based methods, the beautiful thing here is that it's because it operates mechanically with the body and as a mechanical filter, it's a medical device. Got it. Got it. Cool. Awesome. So that's a that's a super helpful overview. Let's spend maybe the next you know twenty to thirty minutes or so, uh, kind of going back in time, right, and learning a little yeah. bit about your journey and kind of like all of the experiences, right, maybe at at, at White Fox and how you're applying them uh, to to Plan A. Um, but for those listening that don't get a chance to uh, to read the full summary for this article, again, the company is Next Life Sciences. Um, it's 
what's the what's the what's the best website for for next is plan, it yeah plan a for men.com plan a for men okay yep next life sciences is kind of the the umbrella company so to speak and then plan a for men is the uh is the site plan a for men.com that's where you can go learn about the team the technology etc so uh, definitely I encourage everyone to head over there if you don't get a chance to f- read the full summary for this particular interview so luke let's go back in time and Talk a little bit about kind of what led up to uh, you know forming forming next like life sciences and, and, and plan A. You mentioned before that you've uh, you have a fair amount of experience now operating in regulated industries, right? Um, and I'm sure maybe that that specific to the device space, but you've you know I'm, I'm sure you've you've burned yourself a couple times, or you know you probably had a, a lot of efficient you know uh, projects go your way too. But w- when you kind of think about like some of the things and learnings that you're applying to plan A in these early phases of like development, now. Yes, maybe the te- the core technology was already there, but you're having to tweak it for a very specific application. You know, what what are you learning? Like, how are you doing it different this time versus maybe you know other regulated you know projects that you've worked on maybe five ten years ago? You when you look at the the a new market right in a new category, one of the things that I've really found is that uh, a rising tide really does raise all ships. And it's it's really easy people for people to get uh, hyper competitive, and I think and maybe there's a time and space for that. But when you're creating a new industry, I think it's uh, something I've found is instead of looking at people's competition, it's really say like, how do we partner together to create something here? Like we're on the same team, and if this is worthwhile, then there's a big enough market for a lot of players, right? And so like for me, when I when I started my last company. My uh, my last company, White Fox, as you mentioned, there wasn't like there was no name to the industry, and it was I got laughed out of most every room that I was in, uh, and in fact it was illegal to do. Uh, so we so I had to move my uh, my butt over to Washington D.C. and uh, get two federal laws passed to create now what's a multi billion dollar industry there. Luckily, we don't need new legislation here, <laughs> but it's still that mindset. And it, it was something that uh, I think a lot of people in that space uh, were very uh, confused about. It's like, why are you investing all of these resources in, uh, you know, in this legislation? And it's like, well, that's how we actually create a real industry. Like we can, you know, nibble on crumbs here or we can actually do what's needed. Because uh, if you have that focus on the mission, you say like, what is it that we're actually trying to accomplish? It doesn't matter if I accomplish it or someone else accomplishes it, right? At the end of the day, it's accomplishing the mission. I believe that I'm best equipped and I have the best resources and the best vision for how to accomplish the mission for sure. But at the end of the day, like it's about being mission driven that allows you to really be able to sleep at night knowing that what you're doing matters. Yeah, it, that reminds me of a podcast interview I just listened to a few days ago. Um, and then the guest name is escaping me, but he's like a serial entrepreneur, kind of probably most well known for starting RVShare.com. Um, and he mentioned he was like, "Look, the, one of the the biggest things that I've realized is um, you spend roughly about the same amount of time building a small business as you do going after building a, a really really large business." And he's like, "I've." Fortunately, kind of choose to, to to try to build large, you know, spend most of that time build, you know, taking a swing at a large, a very large market. It kind of sounds similar to what you're talking about. Is like if I'm gonna, gonna gonna do the work here, I kind of want to create a big category and go after a yes. very very large market. So inter- interesting. And so as that kind of translates to you know Plan A as an example. Yeah. Every early stage company needs to be still needs to be pretty efficient, right? With their dollars early on, right? It's not like you can, um, you know, most most people that are listening to this kind of fully realize that you can't, you don't have endless resources to 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 work with. So, 
like from your uh, perspective, like what are some of the keys, right? To kind of really try to run pretty lean early on until you kind of have sort of traction, I guess, with your, you know, your alpha and beta versions of your product. You know, if you're doing something that that matters, right, and something that has that uh, that mission focus, I think that uh, one of one of my philosophies is that there's the, like we go through life and it's this process of exchange. We exchange our time, we exchange our uh, our money, we change uh, you know all the resources that we have, and it money is by far the easiest and the cheapest and laziest way to compel people mm-hmm. to to join uh, in your mission. I think it's really important to like to, and I found a lot of success in just seeing people as as humans. Like no matter what, who they are, where you know who they work for, what title they have, or what their experience has been. Like everybody is a human, and everybody has something that matters to them and a reason that drives them. Uh, and from by far most people, it's not money. Right, money is what makes the world go round for sure. Uh, but I've uh, one of the advice that I give to, uh, and that I've seen a lot of success in companies that I mentor or uh, in founders I mentor, is uh, is helping is helping them to see like when you're interviewing somebody and you're like find out really what what is it that drives them? Why are they there? Uh, and it could be anything for like I've had wildest array, uh, array of different reasons that people are sitting there interviewing with you. Uh, and if you can find creative ways to support them, then you'll be, you know, you'll be the one company that they want to work with, um, and you're able to operate in a, in a way that brings about, uh, you know, benefit to them individually, which produces better, uh, more efficient, and effective results. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, understanding kind of who you're who you're working with and being able to step inside your shoes is definitely a common theme. That's kind of uh, surfaced, I guess, in a lot of these, a lot of the, the conversations I've had with other, other, uh, you know, med tech and, 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 and health tech, you know, founders and CEOs, but let's, let's transition to kind of a, a somewhat similar topic. Right. And, and, and I think this is, um, this is probably right up your alley, right. Even though it's, um, you, you, a lot of your experience has been building white, white Fox, but it's in a very regulated industry. And so when, when, when most, when most folks like step into the kind of the, the world of FDA and are working on a device or a biotech product or whatever have you, they look at this, this clean reg, kind of, you know, pathway and it's daunting, right? It's, it's, it can be, you know, really overwhelming, even if it's, you know, reasonably, reasonably straightforward. So as someone who's yes, has a lot of experience in a, in regulated industries, but is you know relatively new to kind of the life sciences per se, how are you approaching this, this process with, uh, with plan A? I think there's a, it's really easy to look at regulators and blame them and you know and a lot of people like to do that it's really easy. <laughs> what I found is that regulation is actually uh, can create a lot of opportunity. In prior industries I was in so uh, before White Fox um, I had another company that was in the regulate space and that was uh, that was manufacturing drones. And uh, that was at the very beginning of the industry, and everybody was uh, pushed back so hard on any thought of that being of it being regulated. And I was one of the the loud uh, advocates and worked with some amazing people to say, "No, we want this regulated. Like, in order to create a market here, we have to create public trust, and public trust comes through regulation. It comes through people knowing that what they're signing up for has been." been safe and effective. 
And I think that's what a lot of people miss when they when they see like regulation is this like overbearing or some like you know uh, short sighted. No, like that's the long game. The long game is having something that is enduring beyond just a really neat idea or a great product, but truly something that uh, can create precedent for other innovations that are for future generations to be able to build upon with that trust and confidence that only comes through regulation. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CBRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.